66. Isaiah 66. Very well-known passage of Scripture. I'm just kidding. Not a lot of time spent in Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. We're going to start in verse 12. We're going to look at verses 12 through 15. Isaiah 66, beginning in verse 12. The title of the message this morning is God's love demonstrated in motherly attributes. We'll read it, then we'll pray, and then we'll look at it together. Isaiah 66, beginning in verse 12. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall ye suck, ye shall be born upon her sides, and be dandled upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. And ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And when you see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like an herb. And the hand of the Lord shall be known toward his servants, and his indignation toward his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come with fire, and with his chariots like a whirlwind, to render his anger with fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. Our Father, thank you. As Brother Chris was just singing, Lord, clearly seen in the creation is your love and your goodness and your kindness. And Lord, so much of this has been seen by so many of us through the love of our mothers. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for how you have shown us these things. And Father, perhaps most of all, for those who may not have seen this love in the way that you would have had them to, would you cause them to understand that this is still how great your love is. Lord, would you bless those that are in need above all. Lord, those who have the, the greatest need in their heart right now, would you meet that need. And Lord, those of us, all of us, your children, who can rejoice in what we see, Lord, may we be a blessing to each other. May we truly give you all the honor and glory, and may we live with each other as you'd have us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. To talk about the love of God, to talk about God the Father as a motherly figure seems a little bit odd, perhaps. But what you have to remember is this. God created men to be men and women to be women. He created fathers to be fatherly and mothers to be motherly. But the reason that he has done this, in the same way that he has created all things, is to show us his love for us. In other words, there are, there are, there are parts of the love of God that really can only be seen through the love of a father. 
And there are parts of the love of God that can really only clearly be seen in the love of a mother. Uh, I don't remember, I don't know how you grew up, uh, but in my life growing up, my father and my mother were two distinct figures, not just two personalities. They were two distinct figures in my upraising. In my life personally, I don't know if this is true of all boys, but in my life personally, mom was where I turned, well, mom's where I turned for pretty much anything I wanted, amen? Doesn't mean I got it, but if I wanted it, I would turn to my mom for it. Dad is where I turned when he said, come here. That's where I turned, amen? <laughs> Typically, if my father was speaking to me, it was because my mother told him something he needed to be aware of. And, and that, by the way, that would be one of my mother's greatest methods of discipline in my life is, don't make me have to tell your father about this. I don't know how that was in your life. I just remembered in mine, you know what I'm saying? Or worse, I'm telling your father about this. It's like, well, let's talk for a minute first before we get to that stage. Surely there's something I can do right now to prove that we don't need to go down that road. Amen? Amen. In this passage, God very clearly likens himself to a mother, very clearly likens himself to a womanly love, if you will. And I believe it's important that we understand this. I believe it's important that we enter into this. Um, I don't know. I was thinking about asking a couple of questions. Um, how many of you can say and say honestly that you understand a great deal about love because of what you saw in your mother when you were young? If that's true for you, could you just stand where you are? Just stand, go ahead and stand up. Just say, I learned a great deal about love through what I saw in my mother when I was growing up. Amen. 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 Okay, please be seated. Amen. Good. That's wonderful. I did. I truly learned a great deal about love. Um, um, Malcolm and I were talking a little bit this morning about being, uh, I was raised by a mom with no dad for, until I was nine years old. And my mom uh, dropped out of high school to raise me. And uh, this is back in the 60s. Um, and she chose to, chose to keep me, amen, and then to raise me and raise my sister without a dad without anybody to take care of us. And she would get up early in the morning and walk. We lived in, in Wells River, Vermont, and where she worked was a shoe factory in Woodsville, New Hampshire, which is probably two miles from where we lived. And to my knowledge, she just got up and walked there after she sent us to school. She would just walk there and go to work, and she provided for us. Again, we were poor. I didn't know we were poor. I really didn't know we were poor. We were, but I didn't know it because Mom did such a great job taking care of us, and uh, boy, I owe a lot to my mom. There are seven things that are just clear, just seven things. Seven things sounds like a lot. It won't take us a long time to go through these. Seven things that we learn about God's love demonstrated in motherly attributes. By the way, I do not think I appreciated my mother until I was in my 20s. And I know I didn't appreciate my father until I was in my 20s. For those of you that are not yet that old, you're not as smart as you think you are. And your parents are far greater than you understand. Um, I will say this. One, I, uh, I'm going to just say this. I believe it's an important testimony. When I was, uh, I want to say probably 12, 12 or 13, um, my mom had married. Remember I said when I was nine, my mom got married. And my dad worked at a uh, paper mill. And he just made whatever color paper they were making, my dad came home that color. 
I'm not really not joking. If they were making orange, my dad came home orange. If they were making green, my dad came home green. He didn't have a, what would you say, he would, didn't have a um, higher-end job there at the paper mill. He basically poured the, the powder into the mixing machines and, and helped mix it. And um, I'm sure they can't do that the same way today. I'm sure people don't come home green and yellow and stuff like that. It was Christmas, and I got uh, very little for Christmas. And I, and I had friends who had money. And uh, in a little while, my parents were going to buy a store, and we were actually going to have money, but just we didn't have it then. And I remember complaining, literally, actually complaining about the gifts that I got for Christmas. And so my mom walked me over to my dad's work boots, which sat by the door, which my dad put on every day before he went to work. She walked over, and she picked up my dad's work boots, and she turned them over, and they had holes in the bottom of them. And they had pieces of leather inside the shoe, which, by the way, weren't put into the shoe by a cobbler. My dad just put them inside the shoe underneath the cushion. But they still, he could feel them, obviously, through the cushion in his shoe. And then she showed me the tops of them, and they had holes in them also. And this is what my mom said. The gifts that you got for Christmas were in place of your father getting new boots to go to work, to earn the money that pays for the food that you eat every day. Now, even a, even a 13-year-old selfish boy is humbled by that statement. What I want you to understand is this, you young people. What I want you to understand is all that your parents sacrifice for you to have what they think is best for you. And as a parent, as someone who's now a grandparent, I can say to you that the most difficult decisions that your parents ever made were, can they go to this place? Can they do this? Can they do that? Not did your, are your friends going to go do that? Not do your friends play this game? Not that, but can my children do this? Will it be good for them? And to have to make those decisions is really, really difficult because what your parents want for you is what God wants for you. And what a blessing that is. And boy, if you, if you will get to be 25, 27 years old. Ironically, you'll have children at some point and you'll say, oh, wow. Now do I understand. So understand it now. Today, be thankful to your mother. On Father's Day, just those two days at least, be thankful to your father, okay? But if you could live every day with the understanding of how much your parents love you and care for you. And by the way, there are parents in America that do not care for and love their children. And so you are blessed to have parents that do. And, and, and I just want you to see, I want you, but what I want you to understand is this, I am learning more and more and more that all the love that is in my life is love that God has put into my life through others that he placed in my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, my love for my children is really God's love to my children through me. Do you understand? God loves us. God cares for us. That's where this actually comes from. God talks about natural affection. Mothers have a strong, and that's one of the ways we'll see this, mothers have a strong natural affection for their children, a strong natural affection for their children. And yet we're seeing in the United States of America today that this natural affection is being lost. And that's tragic that that would be true. I want, you to show, I want you to understand as we see these things that God has a great and powerful love. And as I mentioned at the beginning, if you do not know this love through your own parents, I'm sorry, but God still loves you this much. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. 
The first, the first attribute that we see here, the first thing that we see about God's love through the mother is peace and calm. Peace, write this down. Underline the word peace and then write in your margin or in your note, peace and calm. I read somewhere, what, probably, one of my, what, probably one of the books my wife was reading about parenting. By the way, you can read a lot of books on parenting. Um, there's a, there's, there may be, be some help in them. By the way... Um, People who write books on parenting don't necessarily know what they're doing. But they often have learned what you shouldn't do. What I read was this. Mom, the volume level in your house is controlled by you. Whatever, whatever the house is like, Mom, you can help the house to be the way that it should be. Um... Children are not necessarily peaceful or calm, but they can learn peace and calm through mom. And that's what he's saying. I will extend peace. I will extend peace to her. I, we don't have time. The context of this, by the way, we're not, I'm not preaching the context of this today because I really believe that God wants us to see these attributes. But if you go look at Isaiah 66, Israel, Jerusalem specifically, has failed terribly and is, and is under and experiencing horrible judgment and yet what God says is this it won't always be like this because this is what I want you to see this is what I want you to understand it is my desire to rescue it is my desire to restore it is my desire to make things the way that they're supposed to be and in this context God wants us to understand that he wants us to have peace to us like a river now follow this with me again I'm not gonna take long what is peace like a river Explain that to me. Peace like a river. When I was in Memphis, Tennessee, does anybody know what river is near Memphis, Tennessee? The Mississippi, right? What do they call the Mississippi? They call it the mighty Mississippi, right? I was in the Mississippi River. Since I was near the Mississippi River, I decided I should swim in the Mississippi River. And so I did. Here's what you find out. The Mississippi River is a huge river, and it looks like it's a very slow-moving river until you get in it. And then you find out it's not a slow-moving river at all. I, I'm, a, I'm, a real, I'm a very good swimmer, and I could swim as fast as I could and not maintain my distance from, the, from where I was nor from the edge. I had to actually swim back to the edge, and I had to think to myself, don't swim back to where you want to go. Swim back to where you can get, okay? And that, that's how strong it was. And the re- so, so when you, think of, when you think of a river, you think of flowing, right? When you think, when you think of a, uh, a lake or a pond, you think of still water. But when you think of a river, you think of what? Flowing water. And God, listen, God wants us to know that his love for us includes peace like a river. What does that mean? That means a continual flowing of peace and calm into our lives. Why? Because we get anxious so easily. Yes? Life around us upsets us so easily. One of the things that I was talking to someone yesterday about um, is how quickly we miss life because of the things that are going on in our life. Do you understand what I mean? You may not understand what I mean. I, I, I would not have understood what I mean when I say that young, when I was younger. I would have thought that the things that were going on in my life were my life. And because of that, my children suffered as young children. Because to me, the events themselves were the significant part of the day. But the events are not the significant part of the day. 
your family is a significant part of the day. Do you understand? Let me say this. It's time to travel. It's time to go someplace. This is how it was. You can ask my children. This is how. Tomorrow morning, we're going, we're going to Vermont. Tomorrow morning, we're leaving. We're leaving at 7 o'clock in the morning, right? When? You better be ready at 7 o'clock. 7.02, I'd be sitting in the car stewing, right? I'm ready to go. What is wrong with my family, right? And here's the irony. The rest of my family could have been enjoying their morning, but they were running around like a madman. Dad's in the car already. You know what I'm saying? We're all going to die. What a horrible trip it's going to be. Amen. And now here's the funny thing. I just arbitrarily picked 7, by the way, right? right? I just wanted to leave at 7, so we are going to leave at 7, and we are going to leave on time. And then we're going, you're going up the road, and it's like, Dad, can we pull? No, we can't pull over. We're pulling over at 1.15, amen? I don't care where we are on the eastern shore. That's where we're eating, at 1.15, amen? <laughs> Hopefully there's a Dairy Queen somewhere nearby, amen? Right? That is not peace and calm. By the way, had my m- wife... Uh, been able to run the attitude of the car, it would have been a lot. It would not, we'd have never got there, by the way, but that's okay. It would have been very peaceful and very calm for the next five days as we travel to Vermont. Amen. Amen. But God wants us to understand listen, boy, dads, get over that. Get over it now, or get over it when your kids are no longer living with you and you wish they were still living with you. Enjoy the journey now. Understand that the time that you travel together is not about... And by the way, here's the irony. We were simply going to go and be with my parents together when we got there. And, I was, and, and, and when we got there, we were going to sit like down in the living room. Right? So we might as well have been sitting in the car, if you understand what I'm saying. God help you all to understand. Listen, God help all of us to learn from this passage that God's desire is to send extended peace like a river into our lives, the peace and calm that God would have in our lives. And the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall ye suck. And this is provision. Number two is provision. And it has to do with the nursing that you find still in verse 12. So first of all, we have the extended peace in verse 12. Then we have the provision in verse 12, the provision. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Uh, When you have young mothers, you have an infant nursery. When you have an infant nursery, you have a door that men are not allowed to open, okay? Because they're taking care of their children, and we recognize that, and we're glad that they're doing that. But, oh, and I, you know, I, I was there with all of our children being born. I was there with all of our children when they were babies. I was there watching my, boy, I tell you, what a, what a tender love mom has, and what a wonderful time that time is when they're together. What a tremendous thing that is. I remember, I, I remember when, when Amanda was a baby, just first, we first brought her home, we decided that we would put her bassinet on my side of the bed. And when it was time for her to eat, we would wake up together. I would get her out of the bassinet. I would hand her to my wife. I would sit up in bed beside her and wait till everything was taken care of. Then I would take her and put her back in the bassinet, and, go, and we would go back to sleep. Now, I don't know how many days that happened, but, it's, but at some point, I just wheeled the bassinet over to the other side of the bed and said, I'm kind of irrelevant in this process, amen? And, and then, listen, listen, I remember waking up and saying, man, Amanda must have slept through the night last night. <laughs> And <laughs> yeah, I didn't get any brownie points that morning. Um, Amanda hadn't slept through the night that night. Dad had slept through the night that night. Amen. The provision of God in our lives. Now, 
Again, I don't want to go into great detail, but understand, notice how personal that provision is, right? Notice how personal, literally, directly from mom to child, literally, directly from mom to child. And listen, in order for the child to get this, mom has to have the nourishment herself that's necessary to produce this so that the child can have this. Think about all that we get from God. Think about all, every bit of the provision in your life and my life comes directly from our loving God, every bit of it. Listen, you may go to work and you may earn a paycheck, but that job that you have is from God to you. The paycheck that you receive is from God to you. Everything that we have, the, 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 the food that grows in the garden that you've planted out behind your house, every single thing that's in our lives, listen, comes directly, and God portrays himself womanly here to show us just how intimate the provision of God is in our lives. Please, please, American Christianity, listen, American Christianity complains about a cell dead spot. Wow, right? Instead of being thankful that we have food on the table, instead of being thankful that we have clothes to put on, we complain about the most first world kind of problems. God help us to rejoice in God's provision in our, in our lives, and not just rejoice in it, but rejoice in it with great, great understanding and humility. Number three, goes on in this verse, right after this it says, Then shall ye suck, and ye shall be born unto her sides. This is a nurturing, nurturing. Number three is a nurturing. This is the actual carrying of a child. When you watch mom carrying a child, when you see, a, you know, when, uh, when, uh, when we, again, when we were little, when Amanda was very young, when Amanda was not, not an infant but little, I, I remember a young lady who's now a mother and has a number of children herself, but she was a little girl then. She was a teenage girl, maybe even a pre-teenage. No, she's a pre-teenage girl. And she would carry um, Amanda, and she would put her on her hip a hip that she didn't even really have yet, right? So, you know, little kids carrying a child on a hip like this, right? That kind of a thing. But you could see in her, you could see in this young lady the understanding of what it meant to draw a child close to her side, even though she was only probably 10, 11, that, that, that kind of an age, and now she's a wonderful mother because this is something God gives women. This is, men, you know, have you, ever, have you ever seen a man the first time they hold a child? A man holds a child like they're going to, like they're, well, not that they're, not like they're going to break it, but like they're afraid they're going to break it, right? People, when I go to see you have children, you know this, people often say, Pastor, would you like to hold a baby? And my answer is, nope. <laughs> Mom, I'll come over and get close to the baby, amen? amen? Again, I held all my own children, but, you know, dropping your own children is one thing. Dropping your children is another thing, amen? So, no, I will watch you hold your children. But what, what's remarkable, honestly, I have seen so many young mothers who have had their first child, and the way they hold their baby is like they are 20-year veterans because there's a built-in adoration in nurture. There's a built-in joy in holding a child close to you. And this, God wants us to understand, is something he put in the mother so that we could see that he, boy, I tell you, this is something you really begin to understand. The older you get, the more you begin to understand this. Somebody said it the other day. Um, how, when your children get old enough to go off to college, how many of you appreciate if they only call when they need something, right? You know, anybody ever heard the song Cats in the Cradle? You know, I may be dating myself and telling all myself, right? My son grew up just like me, amen? Boy, I tell you, God help us. Men, men, 
God, help us to be more motherly with our sons and daughters. God, help us to draw close to them, to understand, understand, to understand, listen, that God himself nurtures, that God himself draws close, that God himself wants to care lovingly for us, and that it's okay to be a man and to lovingly care for your family, to hold them, play with them, roll around on the floor, have a wonderful time with your children. But we see this, God tells us, it says, in the mother. And then it says, the last thing it says here in verse 12, the fourth one, is actually playful pleasure. Write this, playful pleasure. I don't know how to say it other than that. It's not because it's peas, but playful pleasure. And the, and the phrase is dandled upon her knees. Dandled upon her knees, which is an old, old way of saying what? A horsey ride, right? Anybody ever do that with your children? Put your child on your knee and bounce them up and down? How many children, how many, how many of you have done this, first of all? Raise your hand if you've ever bounced a child on your knee. How many of the children that were bounced on the knee enjoyed it? Raise your hand if they bounced it on the knee. How many children enjoyed it longer than you could possibly bounce them on the knee? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Put another quarter in that thing, Dad. Amen. <laughs> we're ready to keep on going. No need to stop yet. I'll tell you when it's time to stop, right? Amen. Same thing with reading books to your children. Same thing with so many things. Listen, listen, listen. I'm telling you, enjoy it. Enjoy it. When missionaries come to the church... Missionaries have been instructed to behave themselves a certain way, and their children have to behave themselves a certain way. And boy, it breaks my heart to watch little children who have been in a car for eight hours have to behave themselves when they walk into the building. I will tell the missionaries on Saturday, don't come to the church. Go to the hotel. Let the kids tear around the hotel. You can bring them to the church and do if you want to, but I don't want to meet you because I want your children to be able to run off the energy without you having to be afraid that we're going to look down at you because your children behave like children. Amen? God wants, you know, somebody asked me the other day, there were some children running in the hallway. A lot of kids actually running in the hallway. And somebody said, Pastor, why didn't you tell those kids to stop running in the hall? Listen, I'm, I said, I'll tell their parents to tell them to stop running in the hallway. Because quite honestly, I don't care if they run in the hallway. I do care if they knock somebody over. That's the thing. Children, why don't you run in the hallway? Because you might knock over somebody who can't take care of themselves well. And that really is why. It isn't a matter of it's, it, it, that it might hurt the carpet. The carpet will be just fine with you running down it. But you might run over somebody. That really is the reason why. But what I want us to understand is this. Children love, they, and we have an energy. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Honestly, wouldn't it be wonderful? If you could bottle that energy up, amen? Run around for a little while. Here, hold this. Run around for a little while, amen? Give it back to me when you're done. It's like a charging cell. You're like, ooh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Here, you hold this one. You run around for a little while, amen? God, God shows us. Listen, and here's the thing. I believe that God wants us to learn joy from our children and remember joy from our children and that he wants us to understand his desire. And this is a strange thing to me. God bouncing us on his knee. Isn't that amazing? God enjoys our company. He doesn't just provide for us. We see peace and calm, provision and nurture, but he doesn't just do those things. He says, I want to enjoy time with you, and I want you to enjoy the time with me. That's what I want in our relationship. As you go on to verse 13, it says, And as one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. You can decide what you want to write here. I wrote comfort. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. Um, sick children, right? Sick children? Yes? How, how long do we sit with children? How long do we sit with sick children? And the answer is until they fall asleep, right? All the time. Yes? How many of us, how, who gets tired of that? Nobody gets tired of that. Nobody's like, oh, you've been sick too long. Just, 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 just be quiet. You know what I'm saying? Stop, you know, rub a little dirt on it. It'll be fine. You know what I'm saying? What we want to do is we want to comfort our children. You know, uh, when Chris was, I don't know how old he was, 
Andrew might remember. It's probably one of the few times Chris ever got in trouble, right? When uh, Chris was a certain age, he he on Sunday, on, you're not a, you're not allowed to you're not allowed to climb the magnolia tree ever in our yard, right? And you're not allowed to climb any trees on Sunday. Just a rule. You want to know why there's a rule, by the way, at our house? Because I don't want to end my nap to take you to the hospital. That's why, right? Okay? I get very little rest. It's Sunday. It's nap time. You guys stay in here. Do this. Don't go out and climb any trees. So what Chris had done is he'd gone out and climbed a magnolia tree, a big, beautiful magnolia tree, and, he'd, and, and one of the branches broke. And so he did a backflip to land on his feet. And what he learned was this, that gravity is faster than he is. Amen? And so he started a backflip, and he landed on his arm, and he broke his arm. So here, because I was such a kind, generous, and benevolent parent, he didn't bother to come in and wake me up and tell me that he'd broken his arm. In fact, what he did is he came into the living room and laid on the floor and just held his arm, right? And thought, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. So we get, we get up, we're getting ready to go to church and say, Chris, come on, we're going to church. And he gets up, and his arm doesn't. You know what I'm saying? He gets up, and his arm is hanging like this. And I said, Chris, what's wrong with your arm? And he said, nothing. It'll be all right. And it's like, so I walk over to it, and I moved it, right? Ah, you know, that kind of a thing. Now, listen, immediately, I, ne- I didn't say, what did you do? I didn't say, what did you do that is now going to ruin my day? I said, Chris, we need to go to the doctor, right? Listen to what I'm saying. A, a, an irrational, immature father cares more about the well-being of his children than anything else as soon as he knows they're hurt, Right? No father watches their child fall and yells at them. They see them fall, they help them, then they yell at them, okay? You make sure that they're better first, right? But we see, we see in a mother's love, a te- always, you see in a mother's love a tenderness, a patience, and a calmness because they understand what it means. Listen, they understand what it means to be needed to be comforted. Um, I think, uh, I know, I know, um, this was posted the other day. And I believe Katie's the one that posted it. And I, I'm going to misquote it, but it says something like this. Those that think that someone is grieving too long have obviously never lost a little piece of their heart. And see, God understands that. God understands that. Your brothers and sisters might not be patient with your grief, but God is patient with your grief. Because, listen, because God cares. When I say comfort, not that the pews are padded, not that the room is 70 degrees, although the pews are padded and the room is 70 degrees. That's not what God cares about. God cares about a comfort that really matters. God, by the way, God cares about a comfort that only God can provide. We can hug each other, love each other, and we do. We, we're, we're, we're helping those right now that are going through difficult times in life. We can come alongside each other and bear one another's burdens, and God gives us the privilege of doing that, but only God can provide the comfort that we actually need. We can, we can say words of comfort to each other, and we mean them, by the way, and I know you mean them, but only God can truly provide. Notice what he says. Notice what he says this. As one, who, as one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. God wants you to understand that comfort comes from God. And ye shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And when you see this, so it's, notice that the, the, the comfort brings forth these last true. Comfort brings forth these last two. Notice this. And when you see this, your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like an herb. The sixth one is growth. Growing, listen, hear me, this is so important. American Christianity doesn't understand this. Real spiritual growth only comes from knowing how good God is. 
Knowing how great God is or how well you should behave does not bring about growth. It brings about the pretense of growth. It brings about people trying to do right so that they can come to church and show that they too can behave a certain way. That is not real growth. Real growth is I trust God to take care of me. Real, real growth is I trust God to make me Christ-like, praise God. I trust him to do what I know I can't do, and I'm comforted by that. That allows for the growth that God wants. Notice how he says this, and your bones shall flourish like an herb. In other words, just like, that's funny, Malcolm and I were talking about this earlier this morning also. The grass is growing better in our flower beds than it is in the grass. It's a marvelous thing to me. It's terrible, actually, really frustrating to me. We spent an awful lot of money on these flowers, and it's like, wow, man, look at the grass. You know, and the geese are eating all the little blades of grass. I want to build a little gate around the flowers and put them inside the gate and say, eat all that grass. You know what I'm saying? Can't come out until you eat all that grass. God wants us to understand when you mow your lawn week after week after week, when you tend your garden week after week after week, God wants you to understand this kind of growth is what God wants to accomplish in our lives. But your growth, please hear me, if you're not entering in to the comfort and care and love and security of God, you're not going to grow the way God wants you to. God is not looking for you to show off in your growth. He's looking for you to trust him in your growth. And then, by, ironically, is this, we will see the growth in your life. And the Bible says this, and they'll behold your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Why? Because he's the one that caused me to trust him, and that's how I grew to begin with. And the last one comes after this. It's at the end of verse 14 and into verse 15. And the hand of the Lord shall be known toward his servants. Now, the hand of the Lord being known toward his servants, again, this is the idea of the peace and calm, the provision, the nurture, the playful pleasure, the comfort, and the growth. God caring for us. And then notice what he says. And his indignation toward his enemies. That's protection. The last one is protection. I don't have to protect myself because God will protect me. Amen? The same one that provides for me, the same one that nurtures me, the same one that cares for me will defend me from my enemies. Years ago, Brother Glenn Mongol was going through a difficult time in his life, and I wanted to help him. I loved him. I cared about him. I wanted to help him. And I, was, and I said, let me, if you'll give me the mailing address of all of your supporting churches, I will write a letter to them telling them that they ought to get a second source for the things that are being said before they believe it. And this is what he said. He said, Chuck... I was working as an engineer still. Chuck, I appreciate that you love me. I appreciate your kindness. This, but if God can't defend me, then I don't think you can. And if God will defend me, then I don't need you to. Isn't that wonderful? I can't tell you how much I learned from that, that statement that day. If God can't defend me, then you can't. And if God will defend me, then you don't need to. Amen? I don't have to argue and fuss and fight anymore. Independent Baptist, my independent Baptist friend, let go of it. Walk with God, believe the truth. You don't have to fuss and fight. You don't have to argue with everybody. You do not have to prove anything to anyone. Walk with God, let them see the growth in your life, and let God defend you from your enemies. Just be at peace with God and recognize that we wrestle not with flesh and blood. Anyone that must be dealt with in our life, actually, if anybody actually needs, any human being needs to be dealt with in our lives, let God deal with it. Let God deal with it. 
And let us show the love of Christ to everybody around us. Let us realize that what God wants them to see are these first six things in our life so that they're not his enemy anymore. Do you understand? God wants to rescue our enemies from themselves. And God wants us to see that. But notice what it says in verse 15. Notice what happens. If it's necessary, for behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. If someone needs to be dealt with, truly dealt with, God is able to deal with him. Do you understand? And here's the thing. I want to take this, and I want to turn you to a passage that I think will help you a great deal, and that is this. Turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll be done. 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 5 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you, be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him, for he what? Careth for you. Now, we just looked at the seven ways in which God cares for us. The word care here, the the second word, it says casting all your care. That's the first one. For he careth, that's the second one. The second one literally means to guard, to garrison, to protect. It's like God builds a fort around you to protect you. The first care is anxiety. Casting all your care, that one is anxiety. All of the difficulties, listen, listen, all of the difficulties in your life. Let me ask you this, honestly. Will any of these take care of the difficulties in your life? Peace and calm, provision, nurture, playful pleasure, comfort, growth, and protection. Right? What do we need beside that? What do we need beside that? There's nothing in your life that you can't count on God for. So what he said, and here's the interesting thing. Notice how there's no arrogance in this. No arrogance at all, right? Not allowed. No pride in this at all. No bragging, no boasting, except for about how great our God is. I brag and I boast about how great my God is, period. Not how great my God is, but how great God is. Do you understand? God is wonderful. That's it, period. That gives us all of the understanding that if I will humbly allow him to provide for me, he will. By the way, notice what it says about those that are proud, right? God gives grace, to the humble. But what does it say before that? God what? Resist. You go look up the word resist. The word resist, the Greek word resist, you go look it up. What you'll find is it is somewhere between a stiff arm and a heart punch. In other words, God will not let you get close to him. And how close do we need to be to God to have the nurture that we were talking about? To all of the provisions that God wants to be, we need to be able to draw nigh to him to be able to have that. But in our arrogance, in our pride, God literally extends his arm and says, no, no, you cannot come close to me like that. And by the way, you can be a child of God and be held at arm's distance from God just because of your pride. You were saved by grace. You will grow by grace, Right? Yes, you are helplessly dependent upon God to be saved. You are helplessly dependent upon God to grow. And when you understand that, you will grow. You won't brag about your growth, though. Why? Because my growth was given to me by God. It came from the provision that God put in my life. And all of these things we have experienced 
through the mothers that God has given us. All of these wonderful things we have been able, I, I, I don't have time. I, I, could have, I was going to give you a little story with every one of the ones that we went through because I could share from personal testimony all of these provisions from my mom in my life. And so can most of you. But what God wants us to understand, listen, the love that we have for our children is because of the love of God. The love that our parents had for us is because of the love of God. And God wants us to understand these things. Amen? Father, thank you for giving us this time together. Lord, I thank you for your provision in our life. I thank you that you want us to understand and to experience and to enter into this and to realize, Lord, that we do not have to grasp for this. We do not have to grab at this. That we can just simply, humbly trust you. And, Lord, we can repent of any selfishness, any, Lord, any pride in our lives. Just turn away from it, repent of it, and experience your full grace and salvation. Thank you, Father, for these wonderful things. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.